0: Governor, the New York Times says that Tim Scott's endorsing Donald Trump tonight. What would that mean to your campaign?
1: We'll wait and see if it happens.
0: Have you talked to him lately?
2: How rude. She heard that second question and she just walks off. Politicians, huh? especially inept ones. Better luck next time, Nikki. Sorry, but Tim Scott is going with Donald Trump. And he flew the plane in New Hampshire and uh, had a great day.
0: Oh, man, I'm so excited for the announcement tonight. Just tune in, pay attention, listen closely,
2: and let's talk about four more years. Right. Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, who, of course, ran briefly for president himself. It did not work out, but this is a very well-timed endorsement, don't you think? Remember, he's from South Carolina, Nikki Haley actually appointed Tim Scott to the United States Senate. Uh, This is when that happened. People don't realize (laughs) she picked him.
1: It is um, with great pleasure that I am announcing um, that I am appointing our next U.S. Senator to be Congressman Tim Scott.
2: How about that, huh? But that is something like a dozen years ago. And in politics, you know, loyalty, mm, not really much of a thing in politics. And neither is gratitude. You don't hear much about gratitude either, right? Um, But look, I think uh, everything was off the table with Haley. After all, Donald Trump gave her a prime position the United Nations. She got to hold her hand up, you know, vote on important matters, look like a serious person when it came to foreign policy, and that allowed her to run for president, what Donald Trump gave her. Um, Not good, right? Here she is thanking President Trump for the, uh, the opportunity, right when she left the UN back in 2018.
1: I want to thank the president for just, you know, allowing us to come out and talk to you this way. Um, It has been an honor of a lifetime. You know, I said I am such a lucky girl to have been able to lead the state that raised me and to serve a country I love so very much has really been a blessing, and I want to thank you for that.
2: Such a lucky girl? I mean, I'm sorry. I am no uh, feminist, but I don't think that's right for an adult woman to call herself a girl sitting there in the Oval Office. I think she... She uses it sometimes. She uses sexuality as a weapon, you know? When you kick in heels, it hurts or something like that. Um, anyway, this is what I really don't like about Nikki. There are a lot of reasons to not like Nikki Haley, but this is the one that really gets me what she said in 2021, a few months after President Trump left office.
3: He still has a lot of popularity. If he runs again in 2024, will you support him? Yes. If he decides that he's going to run, would that preclude any sort of run that you would possibly make yourself?
1: I would not run if President Trump ran.
2: How do you go back on that? How do you? I would not run if President Trump ran. This is a career politician for you. Uh, What she really meant to say was, I would not run if President Trump ran unless I get enough money and I feel secure economically to do so. She went from being worth $100,000 or so when she left the United Nations to uh, a a, a reported $8 million. Now, politicians, career politicians, some exceptions, but most of them just don't tell the truth, especially Nikki.
1: I would not run if President Trump
0: I'm Nikki Haley and I'm running for president. Criticizing her former boss, telling Politico in an extensive new piece, quote, I don't think he's going to be in the picture. I don't think he can. He's fallen so far. We need to acknowledge he let us down. He went down the path he shouldn't have and we shouldn't have followed him and we shouldn't have listened to him. We should
1: not want to go back to the Republican Party before Trump. Donald Trump is everything we hear and teach our kids not to do.
2: What's that? Wildly successful, brutally honest. Um, all that stuff is, of course, music to the ears of the fake news. Oh, and this is another thing that I have a problem with. the, Quite frankly, the fourth grade teacher approach she has when it comes to communicating. This is the very first thing she said when she declared for president.
1: The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants not black, not white. I was different.
2: She's done that a lot. Not black, not white. People couldn't figure out who or what we were, as if folks in South Carolina don't know where India is. I didn't like it, but she did bring up in the very first words of her campaign video that her parents were immigrants from India. That's great. They were here legally, but they were not citizens. That's a little bit interesting. There was an article floating around the internet, um, actually, says that a legal scholar asserts the U.S. Constitution disqualifies Nikki Haley from presidential or vice-presidential candidacy. Uh, The fake news, because they have a big soft spot for this particular globalist, right? A woman, anti-Trump, right? They, They like that. So anybody who brings up this theory about Nikki Haley must be racist and ridiculous and, right, Everybody said Trump is horrible, horrible, horrible. However, <laughs> it's interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy, and I am a big fan of Vivek Ramaswamy. I have to admit, this took me a little bit by surprise, as it did the mainstream media. Here's Vivek sitting down with MSNBC News. I found this interesting.
4: You've talked about... Um immigration and, and your own family, right? You, you and porva, both, um, uh, kids of immigrants, kids of immigrants, Aporva herself came as a young age, uh, yep. came at a young age. Um, you've talked about your mother's experience with the citizenship test. Did your father also take the citizenship test? And is your father a citizen? He did not. And that's a choice that he has made for familial reasons, but My mother did. I believe in being consistent about my policies where- So your father is not a citizen of the United States? He's not. Okay. Um, And your mother, when did your mom take the citizenship test? Was it before or after you were born? After I was born. After you were born. Okay. After years of being in this, you know, following the legal process of, of becoming a naturalized citizen, she followed it through the legal process. And so I think you that, gained I think birth, you gained citizenship through birthright then. Well, is every, that... But you gained citizenship through birthright, citizenship in that sense too, right? Wait, enjoys, I'm sorry, just, just, yeah? just to backtrack. So your father is not a citizen, your they mother- They came to this country legally. They were in this country legally. So my view is right. any kid who's born in this country of parents who are here legally- That's the scope of where birthright citizenship applies. And I think it's a very simple principle.
2: You know, it's okay to ask the question. From what I know, yeah, um, your parents are here legally, even if they're not citizens, it's okay to run and even become president, all right? But you can ask the question, you can. Because when I heard that, I was like, huh, is that true? Because that hasn't been adequately reported, has it? It's funny though, when Republicans, when there's a hint of a question, they go bananas. A little bit easy on on Nikki. Also on Vivek. How about John McCain? Good old John McCain. All right. Uh, he let us down in a lot of different ways, but he wasn't all that bad when he ran for president back in 2008. Uh, did you know he was not born in America? He was born in Panama. Yeah, his father was stationed there. Um, and well, you got to be born in the United States, right? I remember there was a huge debate. It wasn't like, mm, it wasn't racist to talk about this. The New York Times, NBC News, uh, the Washington Post. This was a big deal. And, yeah, he was a citizen in the end, right? Natural, But you could ask these questions. You can talk about them. Doesn't mean you're a racist. Doesn't mean you're a xenophobe. we got to talk about something, right? It's okay. It's okay. All right. And then there's this. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have
0: a slight Indian accent. I'm not joking.
2: Raising questions about, you know, birthright citizenship, that's okay. This is outright racism. This is not okay. But it's Joe Biden, like everything else, he gets a pass because he's in the club, the great big globalist club. Here's a pal of his, the guy he beat in the debate. Paul Ryan.
4: Biden is so weak that even Donald Trump pulls ahead of him. But look at Nikki Haley's polling. I mean, she beats him by like 12 points in head to head polls. So I would prefer a a candidate who I think would be a good president and who I know is going to win. And by the way, give us more seats in Congress. That's Nikki Haley.
2: Okay. I think he's talking to, is he at Davos? I think he's in Davos. This guy, Paul Ryan, man, first of all, from one glamorous seminar to the next. This is how he spends his life, going and speaking and getting paid, dabbling, dabbling, dabbling. He is one of the guys who rules the world now. Why? Because, well, we, the American people, were paying his salary for a long time. Career politician in Congress, he became the Speaker. He's worth at least eight million. I think he could triple that. Uh, and look at what he does for a living. Go to his Twitter page right now. What does it say? Paul Ryan, office of the 54th Speaker of the House. He gets an office. It goes. It goes with him. They do get a lot of perks. He's in the club forever. And I love this. I love this. These career guys, they really think they're princes and kings. You know, if you go to the Capitol, you can find not one portrait of Paul Ryan, not two, but three. Three different portraits of this guy. He was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, that committee, uh, whatever. Three different portraits. The guy is uh, whatever, 52 years old. They're a little stuck on themselves, don't you think? And again, Paul... You let us all down. You could you should have beaten Joe Biden in that debate, right? You were nervous and fidgety, and for some weird reason you were very, very thirsty, weren't you? Yeah. (laughs) Just what you lost to Joe Biden in a talking contest. That is tough. Anyway, he doesn't care. He's in the globalist club. He's making millions. You know, you get your ticket punched the right way in Washington, DC. You are in. We all remember Bill Clinton. The guy whispering to him is Mac McClarty, a boyhood friend from Arkansas. And he was Bill Clinton's uh, first chief of staff. Couldn't really hack it too well. He was only there for a little while. Mr. McClarty.
0: Thank you, Mr. President-elect. Good afternoon. When President-elect Bill Clinton asked me to serve as his chief of staff, I pledge that I would do my very best to build a team that would work together to revitalize the center of our nation's government.
2: Everybody was so young. Uh, He didn't have that job for too long, but you don't need to have these jobs for too long. How long did he have it actually? Mike McClarty has served this country ably and well as chief of staff for 18 months. He was reluctant to take the job And I will always be grateful that he did. He selflessly agreed to serve the country. And I would say he has a record he can be proud of. All right. 18 months, fine. Selflessly, selflessly, selflessly. Well, after he left the Clinton administration, he set up something called Mac Global. All right. He is one of the big, big, big powerful players in uh, Washington, D.C. Mac Global, McClarty Associates. If you want to check it out, go to macglobal.com. You got a situation? He can fix it for you. Reports are he's damn near a billionaire just for a one and a half year stint at the White House, huh? What a swamp. It is deep and it doesn't want to be drained. Good luck, President Trump. We'll be right back. They're looking for money, Obama and Biden. This video released um, just uh, about two days ago or so. However, I got a good look at it and I had some of our body language people take a look at it. And there's some very peculiar things happening. So do me a favor, watch it
4: carefully. It's pretty quick. Our democracy depends on you.
0: It really does, folks, that's no joke.
4: That's why we need you. We need your help to ensure Joe's leadership continues to guide us forward. We know the other side won't rest, so we can't either. Your donation will help give Joe and Kamala's campaign the resources it needs.
0: Let's make history again. Chip in now. Let's secure a brighter future together.
2: There's actually two clips there. There's a little edit, right? So they actually had to do another take. And so Greg Hartley and Scott Rouse, they evaluate body language for a living. And they looked at this, and here's what they saw, okay? Uh, Obama is in charge, and the other is a puppet. Obama does what Obama does. He delivers like a pro, uses lots of illustrators, the hands and head moving to emphasize specific words and phrases for impact. Biden's smile fades quickly. A true smile takes much longer to go from smile to an almost blank expression. When he clasps his hands, that is what keeps him on track and keeps him from wandering verbally. After the edit, you gotta notice that Biden's hands are about two inches higher than they were before the edit and on the way down. Uh, The air conditioning sound has changed as well. This just indicates the passing of time. Biden's head is much lower indicating that sec- uh, minutes have actually passed. Obama's face shows the passing of time. It is relaxed from the forced semi-smile he was sporting just before the edit. When Biden says brighter future, um, but his dramatic and hastened lowering of energy and inability to speak clearly turns into "burder future. Also, he, his illustrators, his hand coming forward in rhythm and his words emphasizing specific His hands and words emphasizing specific things and phrases are not the illustrators we saw six months ago. They are shaky and hurried. We are observing a decline in mental and physical energy. And Obama is showing a micro expression of contempt along with a slight grimace when Biden is finished talking. So uh, there's a lot there. And I knew it was something. And those guys are smart not these guys all right sports illustrated great magazine for many years and then it got weird and now it's basically going away sports illustrated has laid off uh basically everybody all right and they've been around for 70 years they're gone now we're not sure what happens to the brand you know here's the big mistake they made you know they got goofy with uh, with the covers especially the swimsuit models right this is a trans person they put on the cover just to be cute. And then, you know, instead of supermodels and super duper models, they started putting on, you know, women who, like me, are carrying way too much weight on them. Okay? It's just not what we were looking for. And Leah Thomas, you know, the drag queen in the pool, well, they fell in love with Leah. In her first year, her first year of swimming for the Penn women's team after three seasons competing against men, Thomas throttled her competition. She set pool, school, and Ivy League records en route to becoming the nation's most powerful female collegiate swimmer. Delivered as if this is like, you know, normal. It's not. And Sports Illustrated should be all over this in the other way, it's wrong. Um, What did President Trump say when you go woke? This is what woke looks like in sports. Donald Trump, whenever you go woke, this is what happens.
3: Wokeism makes you lose, ruins your mind, and ruins you as a person. You become warped. You become demented.
2: (laughs) Example after example after example after example. He's right. Sorry, Sports Illustrated. I did like you for a time, and we'll be right back.
0: Hey guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. It's the dead of night, you're lying in bed, suddenly you hear something go bump. What is your next move? Well, you reach for the ultimate solution, the new MC-14 Tip-Up Pistol from EAA Corp and Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength, disabilities, or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodnight to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back down, and you're ready to fire. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP, boosting a 13-plus-1 round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense. Complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties, experience a new level of convenience. Available with all EAA Corp. distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit eaacorp.com today. That's EAACORP.com.
2: Well, anybody with eyes can see that Joe Biden is too old for the job. I mean, it is so apparent. A very few Democrats are willing to acknowledge that. And even fewer are willing to acknowledge that the whole system seems to be rigged uh, against the working man or woman. Don't you think that's right? Hey, uh, last time around, Joe faced a great deal of competition, including Marianne Williamson, the uh, best-selling author, political activist. Uh, She's been described as a spiritual thought leader. She ran for president back in 2019, 2020, and she is running again as a Democrat, seeking the Democrat presidential nomination. She's running double digits in the polls. Marianne Williamson, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? How is the campaign going?
1: I'm good, thank you, and thank you for having me. And the campaign is going the way presidential campaigns go. You know, it's kind of exhilarating and brutal all at the same time.
2: I keep hearing that. Brutal, brutal. And the press. More about them later. Look, what's on your mind right now overall? What's your message? What would you like to share with us?
1: Well, I think that the United States needs to make an economic U-turn. You just talked about the economy being rigged against the average American working person. I don't think it's just the Democrats. I think the entire political elite in both parties um, are the stewards of an economic system, uh, which the people work for, rather than that economic system working for the people. And I think that we need a complete economic uh, U-turn. I think that we need a new beginning in this country. You know, in the 1970s, we had a thriving middle class. The average couple could afford a house. They could afford a car and a yearly vacation. One parent could stay home. One salary could support a family of four. And uh, they could send their kids to college. That was a thriving middle class. And today that is entirely collapsed.
2: All right, we'll talk about the U-turn and how it's done and what you have in mind in a moment. I just saw Joe Biden walking on helicopters, off helicopters, on vacation. Going back on vacation. What's your assessment of him, his presidency, and uh, his? Is he in touch with America?
1: Listen, you, you're talking to a Democrat. If you're going to ask me if Donald touches Trump or Nikki Haley are in touch with America, you know that's personal stuff. People can see what they can see and by the way which of them go on vacation more I mean come on let's be real what I do wait, think wait, is wait, Marianne
2: you- Marianne I I, I want to hear you out here but you are seeking the Democrat nomination against him I'm not trying to trap you I mean uh, I, you know, I, I, I it's a fair, like what is your assessment of him is he in touch with the American people this is your this is your immediate uh, political opponent and yeah getting going on vacation to me he seems wildly out of touch I'll say that you're Please, whatever you want to say.
1: I'm running against the president based on his policies. I'm running against the president. You know, as far as when presidents go on vacation, they all claim they do just as much work outside the White House as they do inside the White House. I'm running against not just against President Biden. I'm running against a system. I'm running against a system in which policy after policy is passed that has turned short-term profit maximization for huge corporate entities our new bottom line. And those profits are placed before the safety and the health and the well-being of the American people over and over and over again. We have a matrix of corporate overlords, and they've turned Washington into a system of legalized that's what I'm running against. I'm running against that system. So I see the president is trying to make incremental changes in order to make it easier for people who are living at the effect of an unjust economy. I want to end the injustice. I want Americans who are at such a difficult time simply struggling to survive, as the majority of Americans do right now. Life should not be so hard, and not in the richest country in the world. Life should not be so such an economic hardship for so many people.
2: So. Before we get into the how we're going to do all this stuff, and quite frankly, you know everything you're saying, I'm digging. I do think we have uh, differences about you know the how. And um, but before we get there, how have you been treated by conservative media compared to liberal media since you declared as a candidate? By liberal media, I mean MSNBC and CNN. You could dispute whether they're liberal or not, but that's how I view them. How have you been treated by those guys?
1: They've they completely blacklisted me. Last time I had a CNN town hall um, and was on pretty, per, fairly regularly on CNN and on MSNBC. This time uh, I'm blacklisted. They don't want me on. You know? Uh, and so, you know, the irony is, isn't it, of course, that, of course, Fox has been much nicer to me, and, um, but we all understand sort of what the game is. Uh, and. What's happening at CNN and MSNBC I think is terrible. I think that the press has a responsibility in a a democratic society. And when someone is an FEC-registered, qualified presidential candidate, I think the people have the right to hear that person, to hear that person's ideas, to hear that person's agenda for the next four years were they to be elected. So what we have is a political media industrial complex. And uh, on on the uh, more on the left, at CNN, it's MSNBC, and they're clearly doing the bidding of the DNC. And I actually think it's terrible.
2: And um, it seems like they're. You mentioned policy, and you like talking about policy. They're not. Political journalists in general don't really care too much about policy. It's all the staff and uh, money and, and the drama. All right. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: You and Donald Trump seem to have more in common than uh some might acknowledge maybe even you might acknowledge and uh i would i would like your thoughts on that and please don't tell me you think he's a threat to democracy
1: well you just told me not to so okay. say it. okay all
2: right you think he's a threat to democracy oh. you really do I'll go
1: back to the, I, of course i think he is or i wouldn't be running however that, that let's put that to the side
2: all right Will well bye, just bye, 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 bye. I- we got a moment how how is he a threat to democracy how like what do you is it And can you make that case without referring to January 6th, because we could talk for hours about January 6th. So how was he a threat?
1: Yesterday or today, he said that it's very important that he have immunity in order for him to do what he wants to do. That's the president saying that he should be above the law. That right there is a threat to democracy. Democracy is the idea that the law, that justice is blind, and that... The law sees all people as equal, and no one is above the law. No,
2: Marianne, the whole issue of like if you become president someday, and let's say you have to order a mission, and there's collateral damage, and uh, you know some civilians okay. are killed in Yemen, you are not criminally liable or civilly liable once you leave office. That's the that's the immunity we're talking about, and immunity regarding official acts. But um, all right. I've seen you speak in public before, and I just, I don't, look, you know how fake the news can be, and I think they have misled millions and millions of people about Donald Trump, including you, um, I that's, and I would hope that one day you might take another look at him and MAGA in general, because we're not monsters and we're not a threat to democracy.
1: Well, oh, listen, two of my closest girlfriends are big Trump supporters. I mean, I, I don't look at imp- that way. I mean, we're all Americans. Nobody has a monopoly on the truth. Uh, uh, You see on the left, as well as on the right, this left, this smug, self-righteous belief that I'm right, you're wrong, and you should shut up, I see that on the left as much as on the left. And that's not where I live as a person, and it's not where I live as a citizen. Uh, Eisenhower said that the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. And at our best, you know, like I said, nobody owns this country. Nobody gets to be all right all the time. We disagree. That's a healthy society. I don't look at people like you just uh, described, like uh, everybody who votes for Trump. That's not where I live in my heart.
2: You know, there are certain things, quite frankly, that I don't see too much wiggle room on, like having a border. We need a border. Uh, Immigration should be legal. And uh, I am totally outraged and disturbed by the sexualization of children and if you don't mind can I get you on those two issues Um, what seems to be a sexualization of children in school this preoccupation with uh, the gender discussion and that teachers should be having that discussion without parental parental notification how do you feel about that and 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 your thoughts on the situation at the border and if you don't mind (laughs) 45 seconds
1: well, I'm, I'm a mother, and there were some things that I didn't want the school uh, talking to my uh, daughter about until I had a chance to talk to my daughter. I think there are certain things that are appropriate for families to talk to their children about. At the same time, there are these two countervailing influences. I also think it's dangerous when the state starts, starts telling schools uh, what they can teach and start... Uh, libraries, b- books they can have on the shelves. So I think we have to be intelligent people. We have to listen to one another. And I think both are true. I think there are. Uh, I, I don't like book banning. I don't like telling librarians have to take books off the shelves. Yeah. And I also, as a mother, have felt there were times when I thought, "What is she, what is she getting that from school? That's something she should be getting from me." Right. And I think I- most Americans live in that place. As as I think I'm, so.
2: The, the the one thing about the book banning, though, we're talking about age-appropriate material and books like "Gender Queer," the sexualization. Yeah, yeah okay, not, that not, one. Okay. No, I mean, there, you could, like questions. that. That is a that's a book that is on the. Uh, on the front stand, in the young adult section, at, at, at bookstores, major bookstores, it's become a thing. They're, they're daring people. You see? They're, anyway, I think it's been wildly mischaracterized, book banning. It's age-appropriate material. Well, Listen, no Marianne, problem. I love talking to you. Uh, I'm out of time. Marianne2024.com. Please check it out. Marianne2024.com. I thank you.
1: Thank you very, very much.
2: To be continued, and we'll be right back.
1: no blind
0: rhetoric no talking down to me don't tell me how to think don't tell me how to think don't tell me how to think i trust newsmax newsmax they don't tell me how to think they let me decide
1: real news for real
3: people
2: so we've all heard of foster care a foster parent a foster child it often stems from a situation when it's just too dangerous for a child to live with their biological parents so a relative, or maybe even a stranger, through a program often administered by the state, essentially takes over caring for that child. It can be a beautiful thing. It's also somewhat complicated, and it looks like the Biden administration has made it even more complicated. New rights, new policies about who can be a uh, foster parent, who can be involved, how they can be involved, and yes, a major emphasis on LGBTQ plus IA matters. They seem to have a fixation on that when it comes to children, the Biden administration. We'd like to talk to Dr. Jameson Taylor, senior fellow of the American Family Association, director of policy and legislative affairs there. Uh, The group focuses on family issues. Core values are uh, evangelism, marriage, family, morality, sanctity of life. Dr. Taylor, welcome to Newsmax. I hope I got the gist of uh, what foster care is. You don't, you kind of know what it is, but you don't talk about it all that often. How are you tonight?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for highlighting this very important issue. Well, you know, what, what we're seeing is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they want to replace parents with government. That's what this is really about. And what they are saying is that Christian parents who believe in a biblical worldview, they are not safe, they are not appropriate. We've gone from Hillary Clinton's deplorables to now Christians being not safe, not appropriate. And in the foster care setting, what that means is that the parents are abusive. These are not parents that they're going to place kids with. And so this is about the Biden administration, one, crushing their political enemies. They cannot tolerate any kind of dissent for their agenda. But two, what they also want to do is push Christians out of the foster care space. Why? Because they want to give contracts to their friends, to LGBTQ-oriented groups, give them contracts for group home services and things like that. So this is a win-win for the Biden administration. One, they're either going to push Christians out of foster care, or two, they're going to force them to cave into their beliefs. And that's what they're doing. They, they want complete acceptance of what they want. They want complete acceptance of their agenda or they're going to push you out. They're going to silence you. You know, my bigger concern is that this could easily bleed into applying to all parents. Because if, if we say that foster care parents, because they're Christian, because they might want their kids to make an informed, responsible choice about LGBTQ issues, about experimental sex change operations, whatever it may be, the Biden administration is saying no. You do not have that choice to be a responsible parent. You do not have a a choice, an option to help guide your kids through these difficult decisions. Again, if it applies to foster care, it applies to all parents. And so that's what we're seeing is that increasingly they want to replace parents with they want to replace parents with the government. Uh, And it's a very deep concern that's going on here.
2: All right. So how is it? Practically speaking, what are they doing? And I think this is coming from the Health and Human Services, right, and, uh, uh, and the White House. But how are they, LGBTQ, like wh- how are they mandating that? How is, uh, what policy are they putting in place that will be offensive to Christians? I ha- You know, just the whole notion, that's number one. But like practically speaking, what are they requiring prospective foster parents to uh, commit to?
3: So they're doing two things. One, there's an executive order that directs federal agencies to basically do everything in their power to make sure that uh, that foster care kids are being put into safe placements. And by, that, by defining what they're doing is redefining safe to mean LGBTQ accepting, to mean that if you're a Christian parent and you raise questions about, well, maybe this isn't a good lifestyle for my child, maybe they should wait and make these decisions when they're older. That's not accepting the LGBTQ lifestyle. And so they're saying you are not going to be a fit foster parent. What they're going to do is take away funding from the states. And that's why it's important for governors to stand up to this. Ask your governor. Call your governor. Ask him to call Tom Perez at the White House. He heads the the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. He works with the states. Ask the White House to withdraw these rules. Because what's happening is the Biden administration is proposing rules to push christians and responsible parents out of foster care the second thing that they're doing is they're seeking to pass legislation there's a bill it's it's called the paris hilton bill you even have republicans that have co-sponsored this like tommy tuberville out of alabama it's going to create this unaccountable non-transparent board that will again push christian foster care providers out of that space and it's again it's a win-win for the administration because either they're going to get christians to compromise on their strong beliefs, or they're going to push them out of the system and then swing the contracts to their friends. Did you say it's the Paris Hilton, like the... Yeah, Paris Hilton Bill. So she was, uh, you know, unfortunately, when she was growing up uh, as a teen, she had a lot of challenges and unfortunate situations. And she ended up in a, a secular group home, and it was a very bad experience for her. So she wants to pass some reforms. To improve upon what these group homes are doing. But the way that, you know, I think she's probably being steered into this a little bit, the way that this is going, it's to create a new bureaucratic board that will, again, be unaccountable to anyone except for the Biden administration. And that is going to be used to push out Christian providers. And that's why you're seeing groups like the Freedom From Religion Foundation, huge fans of this legislation. Why is that? Because, again, this is going to be used to push Christian providers. Out of that space and by the way i think
2: christians tend to be they're probably disproportionately represented as far as foster parents go am i that's uh, right
3: yeah i mean there, there's there's christians lined up you see churches that often do foster care awareness drives and things like that you have many nonprofit christian foster care agencies that are trying to provide quality services to these kids and it's it would be devastating for these groups to be pushed out of the foster care system. It's gonna hurt foster care kids, but again, this is part of the administration's bigger agenda to replace parents with government. That's what this is really about. We're seeing this in lots of different ways, whether it's setting up comprehensive health care services in schools or whether or not it's eliminating parental consent for Title Ten. You know, this is going on in a thousand different ways. And what they're doing is they're using foster care to further this agenda. So, in a sense, this is this is a lot bigger than foster care. This is, about, this is about parental rights. This is about the rights of parents to make healthy decisions, to make informed decisions for their kids.
2: What is something we should do right now, if you don't mind, 15 seconds? Should we go to AFA.net, your organization's website? Is that the best first step? Call what your do we governor.
3: do? Call, yeah, call your governor. Ask them to call the White House and demand that these proposed rules be withdrawn. We do not have to live with this. We need governors around the country, five good governors, stand up to this. If we had five good governors, we could change the course of American history. We could stand up to the administration. That's what we need. Call your governor and tell them to call the White House and withdraw these proposed foster care rules.
2: Dr. Jameson Taylor, we thank you very, very much. All right. right, Will do. Thank you. Thanks and we'll be right back. Thank you. This young woman, her name was Ashley. She died a few years ago from fentanyl poisoning. It wasn't her fault, something she took was laced with fentanyl. She didn't know it and uh, well, the worst thing that could ever happen to a family happened and uh, they are just beyond. But one thing that they're working on to fix is, well, the border situation. Uh, Her mother was in Congress this week asking, pleading for better border control and Can you believe it that Democrats were giving the mother a hard time? This guy, Dan Goldman, Democrat of New York, one of the jerkiest members, I'm sorry, who has ever seen the halls of Congress, started badgering this woman like she was, uh, I don't know. Take a look. I assume, Ms. Dunn, you you would agree, would you not, that it would help to stop the fentanyl trade and fentanyl trafficking from coming into this country if we had more law enforcement officers at the border and more resources and technology to stop the fentanyl from coming in do, do you agree with that
1: I disagree with that
2: because border patrol is now being used to make sandwiches and to screen people and let them into our country Okay well so So I disagree it, with you So you're you're saying that the so you're saying that uh, you're upset because the border patrol is not doing uh, is making sandwiches i think you said so you don't think it would be helpful to have more border patrol officers who are charged with stopping the fentanyl trade
3: I would like the border patrol
2: to be able to do the job that they were hired to do Well one way every border way, patrol sorry. officer that I have spoken to has told me that their hands are tied by this administration and Mr. Mayorkas,
3: I've been to well, the border, sir. Have you? The ha- have you? I, I'm, excuse me. I'm asking the. I, questions. I'm just
2: wondering. You hear what he said there? Excuse me. I'm asking the questions here, right? I'm the government. You work for us. We're in charge. You crazy? She's totally right. It's not a matter of funding. It is a matter of policy, and execution, and. The Biden administration is comfortable with the situation. They are encouraging it for who knows what, sinister, malevolent reasons. God bless that woman. And this is not the first time people who have lost loved ones due to our government's irresponsibility. This is Kyler and Caleb, okay? Take a look at them. They took a pill that was laced with fentanyl. They didn't know it. They both died. And uh, the mother was before Congress, just like uh, that woman we saw a moment ago. Uh, It was actually about a year ago, maybe less. And um, she really went after the Biden administration. And Joe, Mr. Empathy, he laughs about it.
0: She was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that, that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during
3: the last administration.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What a bad guy. What a bad man. Obviously, a bad president. We'll be right back. So, Newsmax Plus, we're up to 200,000 signups, 200,000 Americans. And uh, some folks overseas too have reached out and signed up for Newsmax Plus. It is a great deal. You get everything, Newsmax, Newsmax 2, archival footage, specials, um, movies, documentaries. So it really is a great deal. I have it. Uh, My wife has it. Well, we have the same account, but uh, we have it as a family. I really encourage you to get it. You'll see all the shows. Got Rob, me, uh, Higby. He's doing great. Uh, The whole gang, okay? So check it out. And uh, the Donald Trump content, you you know, Fox doesn't cover a lot of the stuff he does, okay? We do. So for your consideration once again. And I hope you have a great weekend. I'm going to be spending it with my family, including these uh, young girls. There's Annalise. She's just three. Soon to be four. Oh, my goodness gracious. Ed, her two year old sister, Madeline. They're so awesome. This is a great time. Great time.